The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. It's Friday, and that's my favorite time to have a podcast interview, and it's my double favorite time because I'm like having a moment here where I have somebody that you are going to love. And it's super exciting because it's kind of like a new friend that I've known but not known. And I don't want to give it all away. But first, I have an important announcement and apology. I totally screwed up Jenny Boss's episode and the sound was god-awful. And Josue's too. So just so you know, I'm completely imperfect. I am learning this tech stuff literally as I go. And bad on me because I wasn't even talking into the microphone, which is why there was background noise. So it's been fixed. And I'm so glad because I would be mortified if I brought Deborah Boggs on, like total heavy hitter to talk about board and board positions and why being on a board is like the new it girl of the moment. And Deborah Vogs is not just a resume writer. She has been a 100th nominee in Forbes. She's been recognized by all the big publications and Wall Street Journal and this and that. But like so many people I identify with, she's a complete normie. Like she's not like up there on her high horse or anything like that. She's approachable, accessible. And the gift that she has is one of the reasons why she's here, because she takes really complex ideas and she distills them down into ways that are so digestible, like almost even to the point where they're yummy. And you just want to like consume, consume, consume and eat it up because what she has to say is so important and valuable in this topic that has been blowing up more and more and more. So enough for me. Deborah Boggs, thank you so much for, for showing up, for coming on, for just being all boggy you. Thank you so much. I have to say that was the loveliest introduction ever. I really, really appreciate that. I want my dad to hear it. It was just lovely. So thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. And yeah, you can have him subscribe. Yeah, that's a whole separate topic for maybe a drink. But <laughs> this is fun. So I know you're just going to cut to the chase, but I want to like key you up like you are at the masters right now. Why is everybody running to join a board? Yeah, you know, it's such a great question because it has been really popular lately. So many people have been looking for board seats or thinking about a board career or moving into board work. And and why is that, right? Like, why does that seem to be the thing that everybody in the executive space is talking about right now? 
And I think there's two things going on, at least from what we see with our clients is, you know, two things are happening because of each other, kind of happening all at the same time. And one of those is, you know, board diversity initiatives have been more and more prevalent the last couple of years, which is really important because as we all know what especially corporate boards look like, there's definitely a ton of opportunity for board diversity, not just in racial diversity, but they're really opening up in diversity of age as well, really looking at younger board members and not necessarily just people at the retirement age and also LGBTQ and some other things. And so it's opening up opportunities for 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 groups of people that hadn't thought that it would even be worth trying for board seats before. So now there's a lot of people thinking, oh, well, this isn't a futile effort for me. I can actually do this and I actually have value to add and could get a board seat. Meanwhile, while that's happening, an important shift is happening with our traditional board members. You know, I talk to a lot of, you know, white men of a board age and uh, and they're concerned that there are no opportunities for them right now. And that's not true. You know, with all the data that came out last year, the last, you know, S&P 500, 60% of board seats went to that population. There's definitely still a majority of options, but you have to you have to compete in a different way. You have to really show up in a different way and do the competing that every other group of people has to do. And so I think that's really made the competition across the board, minor pun intended, really have to think about how they're showing up and competing for those seats. So one of the things that we talked about earlier this week as we were prepping for this is the peripheral reasons for why board seats are also kind of the go-to, go-to, I got to have it, like can't live without it kind of thing, is also because the idea of retirement is just scaring the bejesus out of people. Like, oh my God, like I, and I like the way you said it, like what did you say even about yourself, right? Well, so for me, yeah, I am more scared of the idea of retirement than I would be of the idea of having to work the rest of my life. Retirement is scarier to me. Echo, echo, echo. Do you hear it? Like literally like across the Grand Canyon, please don't make me. I mean, it's not ever something that I think about. And I'm sure we're not anomalies to the situation. And so being on a board is almost like the antidote to I get to have my cake to some degree and eat it too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you still get the opportunity to, you know, advise, use all of those years of knowledge and expertise that you've amassed to use your network, be, uh, you know, asked an opinion occasionally, you know, because I think it's really hard and scary for executives that have been high achieving their entire careers, you know, have really built a reputation and honestly, uh, you know, their identity around their careers. And then the thought of it just falling off a cliff and that ending is really, really scary. But easing into board work and then still having an opportunity to, to put all of your expertise and knowledge to use to help a company, but at a, at a much less time commitment uh, is really attractive to a lot of executives. So I also asked you this question because I think the most prevalent and obvious reason why a lot of people sign up to be on a board is the badge value of saying, I'm on a board right? Like it feels good. Like it's very prestigious. Ooh, you know, my board seat and I'm meeting with my board members and all that good stuff. And I'm not like poo-pooing it or like denigrating it at all. I'm saying that that's a big reason why a lot of people do it. But when we started talking, what you identified is that the 
purpose is really a much bigger component. Can you speak to that that kind of even more intrinsic reason for doing it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of people, especially our candidates that we talk to are thinking about board work or even current board members say that they want they want a reason to get up in the morning. They want something bigger than their retirement or, you know, going to the golf course or all of these things we think about. And it's not just about being scared of retirement, but it's about wanting to contribute something bigger than themselves. And and sometimes that's through nonprofit board work. And sometimes that's through helping a company continue to grow, helping a company thrive and having, you know, having a reason to be connected with other people. Um, and so I really feel like a lot of people are attracted to the purpose that a board seat can give them that is beyond just maybe the monetary value or the equity if it's an advisory role or something like that. It gives them a just, a, you know, something to know that they're contributing to something bigger. Fantastic. So now I would like to turn this over to the topic of ice cream, chocolate and vanilla. So there's two distinct types of ice cream in the world of boards. There's the big boards that are like paid corporate, like explain like what that, let's just call that chocolate. And then the other boards that are more advisory and, and may not have the same level of responsibility. Can you share what those two camps are or those two different pieces of this world? Yeah, definitely. So I think when a lot of people say they want to start their board search, they want a board role, there's a lot of different ways this could look and there's a lot of different opportunities. And having an idea of what you want in your board role to be or what you have to offer the world or how much time commitment helps think about what type of board you want. So in the chocolate world of the paid corporate board seats, there's both private and public opportunities. Those public boards obviously are a much higher barrier to entry. There's a lot There's a, a lot more that goes into the selection of a board member for those. You have to be well qualified. That's a whole separate conversation we could get into. And then there's private board seats still paid, but you know, but a little bit less of a barrier to entry, depending on the size of the company, things like that. But the but the real difference here in a paid board seat that's formal is that you have fiduciary responsibility for the company. And so you're advising the C-suite on strategy, you know, focus of the business, where you're headed, the big things, M&As, all of that, you know, all of the high level things. You're not operating, you're not being brought on to run a business, but you're being brought on for your expertise to lead the C-suite um, into a, you know, for a strong direction for the company. And you do have fiduciary responsibility. And so it's um, a much bigger ask, you know, maybe not in terms of time, but it's a long-term commitment too. You know, the average board tenure is five to 10 years. And so you need to think about that's a, that's a long-term commitment. That's your, you know, you're hitching your wagon to a company for a long time. And so the other thing I tell my board candidates, if they're thinking about a search is to not not just jump on a board because you're asked or you're you're selected, but because you're committed to the company as well. It needs to be a passion project for you because it is going to be a long time and also a lot of you know a lot of time in meetings and and it's a group project. You're working with other people. You want to have a good good rapport with everyone else because it is a it's a commitment. So that's the chocolate side. Yeah, and and um, just if you want a little extra sauce on this, 
one of the things that we talked about too is there is board insurance. I was like shocked when you said that. So board insurance, like that's something that you would want to at least know about, right? Yeah. And other thing is that if you were understanding and clear on your values early on, those get to be repurposed. So as you are seeking out board positions, that they are in alignment with that. Because if you are somebody that cares about, let's just say, the integrity of in the environment, well, you're certainly not going to sign up for a company that is challenging that mission. So you really want to have this as a continuation of your career, not just for the logo or the badge value. Absolutely. 100%. Because it's also, you know, it's a public choice. You're going to be on the website. You're going to be, there's going to be press releases out about it. If it's a public board, you're going to be in SEC documents. You want to make sure that you're putting your professional reputation with the company that aligns with your values, or at least isn't in direct competition with your values, right? It's it's a really important piece. And I tell, you know, a lot of clients, because they, you know, people are working longer now, will think about a board search and a career search at the same time. And they'll say, well, I'm looking for a new CEO role, but I'm also open to board seats. Which should I do first? And I always suggest, that's a little off topic, but I always suggest doing the career search first, because if you're still in your career, you don't want to have a situation where you take a board seat in your industry and then get the perfect CEO opportunity and are immediately have a conflict of interest and have to step down because that's not a good look. So mm-hmm. you want to focus on the career role and then the board seat if you're doing both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay, bring us over to the land of vanilla. And right. that, land of vanilla. That isn't like a metaphor for like, this is boring. So maybe we should say like another flavor, but you get it. And don't tell anybody, but unless it's Rocky Road, I always want vanilla. I'm not a chocolate ice cream fan. I'm one of those people. Okay. So, tell us about those no. other, you know, non-for-profit or various other, I think that those would be in the area of advisory. Well, so the other area, if you're thinking, you know, non-for-profit can be, a, we'll put that in a separate bucket for That's a minute, fine. but if you're thinking corporate advisory board roles, there's other, you know, there's other ways to get into the boardroom or get board ready, maybe for these paid roles through lower barrier of entry to advisory board seat. And these are a little easier and they're a little more informal because they don't have fiduciary responsibility for the company. And so they don't require any special insurance. You're not going to be held liable for things that happen. But what you are going to want to do is be clear about the expectations of an advisory seat because it's informal. It's really going to be an agreement between you and typically a startup founder. Usually a startup founder or a, a founder or CEO of a small company will be one to assemble uh, an advisory board or they may be getting ready to go for a round of funding and they pull an advisory board together to help both guide them through that process and legitimize the the business a little bit. So what you want to focus on is being clear about what the time expectation is going to be for that because where the time expectation is a little clearer for the chocolate side of the paid board seats, the advisory board may not ever actually meet formally. It may be just a bench of, of advisors that the founder calls on when they have certain questions going on or need certain help with something. So say if you're a general counsel and you want to be a legal advisor for a startup, you know you need to make sure that you're understanding what that time commitment is going to be. Are you going to be answering questions as, as needed? Are you going to be meeting quarterly? Or do they want more of a fractional GC and it's going to take over your life? So you want to think about what that looks like, but you can typically, while they're not paid, you can usually negotiate some form of equity 
in those. Mm -hmm. um, so you typically won't get rich doing this, but it does help um, set you up as board ready and board qualified when you want to move into that paid work too. So it's kind of low hanging fruit to help, you know, work through your board career too. Yes. And you identified time commitment in those seats. But what I want to also turn this around to is the answer you originally gave me was, it depends. How long will it take if I start tonight and I want to get on either board, either chocolate or vanilla board, what do I need to do and what should my expectations be to become board ready, both in my conversations, in my LinkedIn profiles? You know, what do I need to suit up so that I am up there with, you know, other considered candidates for these roles? Yeah, great question. So if we were to be, you know, when we were Hold on. So we talked a little bit about the timing that you need to be committed to when you're in the board seat. However, let's talk about what that ramp looks like in order to get you there and what the expectation should someone should have as they're thinking, mm, maybe I'll do this. Oh, maybe I'll land a board position, you know, in the next three months. So help us understand what we need to do both from an expectation level and also from a preparatory level with our candidacy and other uh, collateral material. Yeah, definitely. You know, there are several steps if you're going to start a concentrated board search, right? And so if a client were to come to us and say, I want to start a board search, this is the conversation we would typically have of the pieces that are going to be needed to be a, a serious board candidate. and. So the first piece is really, and you you alluded to it earlier, is really getting focused on what you want. And it's just like a job search, right? Executives have had complex careers. You could do a lot of different things. You may have worked in a lot of different industries. But when you start your board search, you want to be really focused on the types of organizations you're most, you know, you're best equipped to serve and how you're uniquely positioned to help them through whatever challenges those types of organizations are going through. And knowing that makes the rest of the process much easier. So once you identify that, which is the most important part of this process, in my opinion, is then building your board-specific resume and bio. And this could be a topic of a whole separate conversation, but the board skills and the things that are, you know, that boards are looking for are going to be different than your career resume. As we already mentioned, they're not hiring you to operate a business or to run a team. They're hiring you to be an advisor to the C-suite. So th those types of skills are a little different. So you want to think about that. Same thing with LinkedIn, positioning yourself as a board leader. And the other thing with LinkedIn is if you've had a, a successful career through your, you know, maybe your own network or getting promoted or building your businesses and you haven't been thinking about LinkedIn, you do really want to think about it for your board search because in a lot of cases, it's going to be your only opportunity to make a strong first impression. And so you want to think about your headshot, make sure that's, in, you know, uh, you definitely need a professional headshot at the board level. Think about your background uh, photo, the links and images and the visual presentation um, of your profile and things like that. So spend some time on the, that collateral. And then when it comes time to do the board search, depending on how we'll say quote unquote board ready you are, you may want to think about a board preparation program or a board certification program. There's a lot of different options. And I'm not saying you need a certification to get on a board, but you may need the language around 
corporate governance and board governance, and that'll help you through the interview process. So that's where those types of programs are helpful. We can talk about the different options, but the the point is you may want some some language to show that you're board ready. And then it's going to be highly dependent on your network. You're really going to network into these opportunities. They're not posted online and no reputable ones are posted online. And so you're really going to want to build your network and connect with there are board level recruiters. That's how some board seats are filled. Certainly not all the most of them are filled through networking. And so the process can be lengthy. So the point is the time commitment for an advisory seat is much shorter. You can maybe, you know, wrap one of those up in six months, depending on your the level of your network. But for a paid board seat, I typically tell my clients to prepare for maybe a couple of years. It's going to be a longer search than a career search. Yeah, it may take two years. And so if you're preparing for retirement, you know, quote unquote retirement today, we will work with clients who aren't necessarily looking for a board seat tomorrow, but are preparing for that ramp. We're working with someone right now who can't sit on a board for another 18 months, but he's preparing all of his documentation now, preparing his value proposition getting all of that together because he knows that he wants that after he retires. And so he's going to have to be ready. And that wrap up can take a long time. I am so glad that you laid this all out. Also, because it's like so many other things. You don't know what you don't know. And then you find out, ooh, this is like not as either turnkey or even as far of a reach as I initially thought. So if you could just like give us maybe a couple of teasers, like what would say, ooh, this person is, they've done the work, they're ready, right? Like, and what would be a telltale sign that says, uh, not so much, either okay. from a talk track or maybe from their materials on LinkedIn, what would be the leading indicators in both direction? Oh my goodness. Okay. Such a great question. So from a talk track perspective, someone isn't ready if they can't clearly communicate their value. You know, sometimes we'll say, tell me about yourself and they'll go into this giant long history of their entire career and you're and you're losing people, right? You need to have that really short, succinct, here's what I do, here's who I do it for, here's why I'm unique. And and without that, then the whole networking process is going to be much harder because you never want to send someone the other day someone sent me a LinkedIn message. I've never met this person before and they sent me a message and it was I just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling through their whole life history. That's not helpful. And so that's one of the things I can tell if someone's not quite ready to start their search. And then from the other side on LinkedIn, it's interesting. I think a lot of people who are successful in their careers will look at other people on LinkedIn and say, oh, so-and-so in my same job at another company doesn't have anything listed on their LinkedIn profile, so I don't need to include anything in mine. I don't want to put too much out there because I don't look like I'm trying too hard. And that does you a disservice if you want to be found in searches. And if you want to, if someone's coming onto LinkedIn, it's because they want to learn more about you. And if they come to LinkedIn and they can't see anything about you, that's doing you a disservice. And so the other piece I, I like to tell people is everyone has a LinkedIn profile for a different reason, and they're using it in a different way. So you can't necessarily look at your peers and say, oh, well, Tim doesn't list anything, so it should be more like Tim's. You're not Tim. Tim you're not Tim, exactly. And Tim may just be using it as an online Rolodex, where you're using it as a board candidate for paid seats and you need to be giving a lot more information and putting something else out there in the world. And so that's where, you know, if they have nothing on there or it's not telling a strong story, that's where I say, you know, not board ready yet. Oh, thank you. Because so much of this is, I understand that it's application is for a different reason why and a different end 
and go, but this same thinking up does apply to your to your you know career search. So there's a lot of elements I think that ha- sound the same and have very similar uh, configurations, but they are uh, pointed in different directions. And then the last piece that I think is vital, 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 vital. If I didn't say it, I'm going to say it one more time. Extremely vital is your network. And I hear all the time, you know, people coming and saying, I know I need to network, but either I'm an introvert, so I get a hall pass or, you know, some other reason why this is not necessarily a skill that they have to learn. And Mm -hmm. that is not true. And I ain't playing. So what that means is that if this is on your horizon, you know, put your big girl boy and pants on and, and, and let's do this because the truth is networking is something that just gets better and better and better over time. But if you sit on the sidelines and think it's not going to go away, it's going to only fester and get worse. And then you're going to find yourself in these positions where the network is literally the entire infrastructure of, of how you land these positions, similar to hidden job market opportunities as well. So absolutely. I'm so glad you included that. And clearly I'm like going to die on my sword for, for this. Absolutely crucial. It has to happen. And, and, and it has to, you know, a lot of times uh, some executives will work with will have a deep network in their company because they've maybe built their career through their company over 20, 25 years but they don't have a wide network. And so you have to start thinking about broadening that network into other areas of the industry or other, you know, other places where you may be able to add value and not just um, all the people you know super well, because a lot of these opportunities are going to come from your second and third degree connections. Mm -hmm. Don't necessarily know you well, but oh, a friend of a friend knows of an opportunity. And that's where a lot of that magic happens, but you don't know it until you start letting the world know they are open to these opportunities and start having the conversations. Completely. All right. Now, even though this was super fun, now we're going to get to the other more personal fun with the signature questions. So the first question is, if I am committed to this path and I want to land a board position, what is your recommended read? What should I be diving into and like, you know, bringing out the highlighter and the flashlight in the middle of the night to, to absorb? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love this question. The New York Stock Exchange did a a whole board governance guide that is really, really helpful that goes through what board governance looks like, what different opportunities are, what the committees are. And that's a really great entry into what this conversation looks like. Happy to add the link to it that we can maybe add to the show notes. Yes, please. Uh, It's like a 30-page read, but it's a crash course in everything that you need to know. And it is really, really helpful. I think it's the board governance guide. I don't remember off the top of my head. I'll take a look. Uh, oh, that's great. really, really helpful. And oh. then for data nerds, Spencer Stewart puts out a board governance index every year on um, the S&P 500. And so uh, they do a board index on all the different ways you can slice out the data of who's on board seats. So what are the trends in board diversity in, you know, returning board members versus uh, first time board members and, and all the different ways you can look at the data. Um, and so that's one that I suggest taking a look at just to know what the landscape looks like. Now, of course, this is for those chocolate board seats, right? That are 
that are paid and more prestigious and also um, public, but it gives you an idea of what the rest of the market looks like that we don't have a lot of data on. So that's an option as well. And then, you know, there's a couple of, I, I'm, again, I'm not suggesting everyone goes into the, the, you know, the National Corporate Directors Association or, you know, any of those things that are higher cost. You certainly can, but there are other programs like um, Private Directors Association where you can get some board governance uh, like low hanging fruit for courses and different certifications that can help give you that crash course uh, to get some some language. So that those are the places I like to go. Excellent. Uh, uh, like no surprise, like a complete library. I love it. <laughs> okay, the next question is a lot easier. Post it. If somebody wants to be reminded to stay on track, to be able to like kind of keep this front and center. What post-it would you suggest that they put on their desktop or you know somewhere on their desk to keep that dream alive? I love this question. I would. Can I do two? You can. And I'm a big fan of like post-its around the. I do this from when I work with coaches for my own stuff. I'm like, okay, my little post-its on reminding me of what's important. So the number one would be, I think, a lot of times, especially when I'm working with high-level executives who left prestigious jobs. And then they go into board work and they think, no one's going to want me. Or what am I, you know, the, everyone has imposter syndrome at every single level. It doesn't matter. And so, you know, a lot of people will kind of come at this with a sense of scarcity. And then they'll want to jump at the first board that comes along. Especially if they've always been high achieving, they do a lot of work and then they think, oh my gosh, I, you know, I don't want to not be busy. Right. And so the first thing I would have on a post it is, what are the organizations you are uniquely equipped to serve? Because I think a lot of people jump at that first board opportunity, and that's not necessarily always the right board opportunity. And so what I will tell my clients is you have earned the right to be picky. So keep yeah. your ultimate goal in mind. Yeah. Don't just take the first. I one. love that. you And you can repurpose this for a lot of other applications as well. Do not take this a one and done. I love that. Perfect. Yes, yes. And what's you your Yes, you have the right to be picky. That's why it took me 25 years to find my second husband. That's no joke. I love that. Second one. Second post-it? Second post-it. Um, who have you met this week? Mm. Because you have to be building your network. Are you having virtual coffees with strangers? Are you going out to events? Are you joining a webinars so that you can connect with people on LinkedIn that you're all in that joint webinar together and you all already have something in common and it makes it lower hanging fruit and less awkward for our for our introverted friends to reach out to people so that other like keeping networking front and center because it's going to be the crucial point to your job search or your board search mm, excellent and this is this should be like a slam dunk for you what's your walk-up song oh my goodness my walk-up song um you know, it's so funny. I come from a baseball family, my whole, all my boys and my husband and everything, and they all have walk-up songs and I've never thought about mine. Uh, let's see. I, an anthem for me, I'm a big Tom Petty fan. So I like American Girl a lot. That's kind of like an anthem in my head a lot. So I'm going to go with that off the, off the cuff. I do love that song. And I am also a Tom Petty fan. So that works out really well as a way to wrap this up. Thank you everyone. And I cannot thank you enough. And if you really want to do a, me a huge solid, please leave us a rating or reviews. I'm going to tell you these things really matter. And I also watch them because I'm a little bit of a geek. 
But the point is, is that this helps us not only bring more episodes and to get, spread the word, but also to rate higher in our global listening. So right now we're at a 2.5% globally. And of course, in the overachieving uh, mindset that I have, yeah, I want to get to the 1%. So we'll, we'll really be appreciative of all your help. And Deborah Boggs, thank you so much. We can find you on LinkedIn. That I know for sure, right? Where else should we go? Absolutely. Yeah. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I post a ton of information around board and executive career searches. Find me uh, on our website at dscareermanagement.com. And that's where I hang out. I'm a big LinkedIn nerd. So you can find me there. Send me a message. Tell me about your search. You know, keep me posted on where you land. I'm excited to hear where everyone takes this. Fantastic. Thanks so much. We're going to stop recording now. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this. Use these tools. Not tomorrow. Right now. And share them by spreading the love. Leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half. Most of all, thank you for you.